Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets. This month's very unique episode catches up with Will Novak, project manager for the city of Mesa, Arizona. Will starts out the episode discussing what's going on in Mesa, but then goes on to discuss his crazy story that has gotten much media attention. Here is our interview with Will. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to a couple past episodes and really enjoying it. Great. Well, we'd love to hear that. Well, will you start out by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Will Novak. I work in the Economic Development Department of the City of Mesa, Arizona. Mesa is the largest suburb of Phoenix. It actually, we were just looking at the census data. We've just crested over about 500,000 people. So it's the third largest city in the state of Arizona after Phoenix and Tucson. Um, it's actually by population larger than uh, the proper city of Atlanta or, or St. Louis. So it's really quite large. People don't realize how big Mesa is. But historically has been, um, up until the last 20 years or so, sort of a bedroom community for Phoenix to the east of Phoenix. A um, uh, lot of post-World War II growth like a lot of the Sun Belt. And, and so now it's a city that's looking to go from being strictly a bedroom community to being, having a more robust and diverse economy. And uh, that's what our office does. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, was this your first uh, economic development job or where were you before this? No, I, I've i had a weird career and a weird life. Um, but before this, prior to this, I worked at the city of Phoenix and I worked on the uh, elected official floor. I worked for a councilwoman who is now the mayor, uh, Mayor Kate Gallego, who's wonderful, the wonderful mayor of Phoenix. And prior to that, I worked for the previous mayor of Phoenix, Mayor Greg Stanton, for about two years and doing a variety of roles. Uh, Phoenix, Mesa, actually every state in Arizona has what's called the weak mayor or council manager form of government. Uh, so the mayoral staffs are like 10 people, whereas, you know, in a big city like, I don't know, Seattle or Los Angeles, it's, it's much more akin to the presidency that has a cabinet and, and a lot more like that, whereas here the city manager um, is really the one that runs the cities. And then the, the mayoral offices is a lot of, you know, policy advice and doing events and community outreach and constituent services. So we did some uh, economic development policy there. And then prior to that, I worked for three years at the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, which is the regional economic development organization for Metro Phoenix. Um, I started there, let's see, I'm 35 now. So I guess I started there when I was in my late 20s, basically I got to, I had a whole other career and I decided to do a career change in my late 20s uh, or rather the, the recession decided to do a career change for me. And I went back to school as an adult at Arizona State, got a degree in public policy and basically kind of started in the mailroom at GPEC and worked my way up to the front desk and then worked my way up to a, like an office admin role. And then eventually was like, I want to be on the business development and attraction team. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. It seems like I should try it. And I did it. And that was great. And um, I ran, they have a program called the Ambassador Program, which is their sort of um, membership type program. They have some chamber, uh, some functions are similar to a chamber. So yeah, I worked at GPEC for three years and City of Phoenix. And now I've been over here at the City of Mesa for almost a year, coming up on a year in October. Wonderful. That's great. Well, what but I've, I've done a lot of things. I've also been a tour guide. I worked on television and movies. 
I spun signs on a corner. I dug ditches. I've, I've had a weird, weird life. Wow, many talents, just more things to add to their resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think some of the strengths are of your organization? Um, I think some of the strengths in Mesa uh, the, at the city level is it's a very community, very familial organization. Uh, Mesa is a very family-oriented place, more than any city I've really worked directly with before. Um, Mesa, in a lot of ways, is akin to Salt Lake City. It was founded by LDS pioneers, and there is still this strong uh, familial connection here. It's, it's a big city, but everybody kind of knows everybody, and uh, the people that are involved have been involved for a long time, and I think the city works well with the community. I think there's a you know, in some cities, we see a lot of disconnect between whether that's the, between the police force and the, and the citizenry, whether that's between the elected officials and the citizenry here. And so far in my almost a year, I, I haven't really felt that here. I feel like we've got a good pulse on what the community wants. Um, like I said earlier, the community was largely a suburban bedroom community for a long time. And it's not like the city just decided in an ad hoc manner, well, we're going to bring more jobs and industry here. It's, it's, it's something that there's buy-in from everyone. People are like, yeah, that worked. 40 years ago, but now I want to live here and I want to work here and I want to play here. So just trying to diversify that and bring more jobs in so that everybody, you know, there was a time when Mesa's daytime population would would drop and, and we had more people sleeping here overnight and then during the day everyone left. So we're kind of trying to turn that around. That's great. That's wonderful to hear. Well, so I am going to go ahead and tell the audience that this is a very unique episode of the podcast because that is pretty much the majority of economic development um, scoop they're going to get. Well, they'll get some in the wrap up when you tell us about some of your economic development secrets. But uh, we're gonna put a little pause on economic development and, uh, and go in a different direction here. So for those of you who do not know, this, uh, I met Will through Jeff Finkel at IEDC's Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City. And Will, you were doing a session there, correct? Well, I didn't mean to. I was just going to attend and take the uh, take one of the courses because I'm working towards my certification. I have two more courses to go. And I think it was the night before Mr. Finkel came up to me and I had never met him before. I, I knew who he was, obviously. And he just said, hey, will you just talk to the general plenary session? And I'm like, what? I, what? I'm, you know, I'm relatively new in this career. I've only been in it five or six years. I, I don't, I'm not a certified economic developer. I don't know. I can't talk to all these people. These are all my future bosses. What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, well, just tell them about all this funny stuff that's been happening to you. You've got this wild story that happened, and it's, it really made me laugh, and I'm sure they'd love to hear it. So just come at 8 in the morning and talk to the room of, you know, 300 people who know more than you'll ever know, and uh, it'll be great. <laughs> And he's just so casual about it, and I had a near panic attack. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, if you wouldn't mind, will you please share your story with the audience? I'm sure everyone is anxious to hear um, uh, and amping up to say. <laughs> um, I don't really know where to start, but basically going back to uh, January of this year, I was about to leave my office uh, one afternoon late. I had stayed a little late, and you know, I always I check my work email and my personal email before I leave. And in my personal email, I had this uh, this subject line, and it said, urgent email, respond right away, Angelo's bachelor party. And I thought, well, this is weird. Why is this so urgent? I don't know anyone named Angelo. I don't know anyone plan planning a bachelor party. I thought it was one of those, you know, like fake Nigerian prince scam emails. So I almost deleted it, but for some reason I opened it. 
And as I start reading through, it's got all these pictures of guys in snowsuits that are like really loud colors and they have mohawks and wigs on. And it says, uh, you know, Angelo's bachelor party, it's going to be in Vermont in a couple weeks and it's going to be the most crazy time of your life. And we're going to drink until our livers explode and, and do ski jumps and oh, it's going to be so crazy. And it had all this coordinating detail about like you need to be at the cabin at this time and all these little particulars. And then at the bottom of the email, as I'm scrolling through, it says, but people we still haven't heard from. And there was a list of names. And one of the names was Will Novak, my name. And then I realized, oh, these guys must have a friend with my same name. And maybe the email address is similar. And that's how it got to me. Uh, so then I should have just deleted it. But I didn't because I'm weird. And so instead, I hit reply all. And I said, uh, dear everybody, you know, I'm this is Will Novak in Arizona, not in Vermont. I don't know how to ski. I don't know who Angelo is. But all that being said, this sounds like the time of my life. Count me fucking in. And so then I hit reply all and I sent it to him. And if, uh, about a day later, they wrote us back and they wrote me back and they said, you know, are, are you serious? Because you seem awesome if you're just willing to like go for it like this. And I was like, oh, I was kind of joking. But I mean, if you're serious, I'm serious. And they're like, we're serious if you're serious. And it kind of got to be a a game of chicken and they're like, yeah, you should come. And they, they were like, they, they said, what do you want to do on a bachelor party? And I was really silly. I treated it like it was a little girl sleepover party. I was like, well, I don't know. We could paint our nails and talk about boys. And they thought that was funny. So like, yeah, you seem fun. Come on along. And here's where you should fly. And here's all the particulars. So I started to look at it more seriously. And I talked to my wife and we had a, at the time a six month old baby, something like that, eight month old, whatever she was. And, um, my wife said, you know, we got the baby and we just remodeled our house and you just started a new job. I don't know, it, you know, flying to Vermont and renting ski equipment, it's going to cost some money. So I looked into it and all told the trip was going to be like 750 bucks, which isn't a lot, but it's a lot for a joke. And so my buddy Jeff was like, why don't you try one of those GoFundMes? And I'm like, that'll never work. And just to make Jeff look like an idiot, I was like, oh, Jeff, I'll show you. And so I put up a GoFundMe and I put it on Facebook and then I sat down to eat dinner. And in two hours, we had close to $1,000. And then in a couple of days, we had raised over $5,000 and it started going viral on Twitter. My local congressman, Congressman Ruben Gallego, retweeted it. And then a bunch of other local politicians in Arizona retweeted it. And once that happened, then all the local newspapers started to see it because, of course, they follow the politicians. And people just started reaching out to me and they were so tickled and charmed. They thought, are you really going to go ski? You don't know how to ski. You don't know these guys. They might be murderers. What if they try to kill you? And uh, yeah, it just sort of went on from there and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more people kept donating and they said, oh, I wish I could go on an adventure like this and how exciting and you're going to make these great new friends. And then a lot of people were just really concerned about me getting murdered. There was a lot of murder talk, which I, which I hadn't really considered. Um, but yeah, it sort of went from there. That's great. So you actually went to the bachelor party. How was the party? Um, it was insane. Yeah. So uh, yeah, as it kind of went along, I started doing some planning. The first thing I did was they, they had told me to fly into Newark and that they would give me a ride uh, to the to the where the mountain was in Vermont. But then after all this murder talk, I realized, well, maybe that's not a good idea. So I decided I looked at flights and it's actually cheaper to fly into Boston. So I decided I was going to fly into Boston and I was going to rent a minivan there because that was the cheapest car you could get. So and they told me when you show up, Angelo loves crazy outfits. So don't tell him you're coming. We're going to try and keep it a secret from Angelo. And Angelo won't know, that's The Bachelor, that you're coming. It'll be a big surprise to him. And but wear some kind of crazy outfit. And I don't really have a lot of crazy outfits. I'm a pretty boring guy. 
So I got this like red, white, and blue jumpsuit and I got on the plane. And as I'm at the airport, some of the local media was there because they were interviewing me because they thought it was a silly human interest story. And I, for folks who don't know what I look like, I'm six feet tall, pale skin, red hair. And I'm wearing this red, white, and blue jumpsuit and I'm heading to Vermont. And a bunch of the people on the plane thought I was Sean White, the snowboarder. So people kept saying, hey, flying tomato. And where are you going snowboarding? And can I have your autograph and all this stuff? So that was bizarre. And I had to let the people down and let them know, no, sorry, I'm not. I'm not Sean White. I'm just a redheaded guy dressed real goofy. And um, I flew to Boston. And uh, when I got into the airport, I went over to the car rental desk. And I said, you know, I'm here to pick up, um, pick up my car. And they said, oh, yeah, you had this minivan. We heard about you. You're going to the bachelor party. And I said, yeah. And they said, oh, real bad storm's coming. You might want to get a four-wheel drive. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I should, I'll pay for an upgrade. And they said, oh, don't worry. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah, come around the corner. We upgraded you already. And as we go into their parking garage, they had upgraded me into a Maserati SUV that was worth about $90,000. Oh, my God. And it had four-wheel drive, and it was, like, the obviously the fanciest car I've ever driven. And, like, you get in it. Like, when you open the door, the car, like, kneels down so that you don't have to step so high. And, like, it senses your height, and it immediately puts the heated seats on, and it adjusts the mirrors on its own, and you can talk to the car. It's like, it's like the car from Knight Rider. It's totally crazy. And I was super intimidated, and I didn't even know how to drive it. And then so as I was about to leave, then a guy from a local brewery showed up and he said, oh, you're the guy going to the bachelor party, right? And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, we're from Night Shift Brewing right here in Boston. And we just wanted to give you some beer. And he it comes around the corner and he's got a pallet full of beer, like a huge dolly full of beers. So we load all the beer into the back of the Maserati. And then I, I found a nearby shopping mall that had a big parking lot. And like I had to retrain myself how to drive because the car was smarter than I was. And so I was trying to figure out what all the different buttons did and the heated seats were on like, cause it was like zero degrees outside. So the heated seats knew to come on automatically, but they were way too hot and they were like burning my back up. And so I was trying to figure out how to turn them off. And some of the functions of the car, you can talk to it like the mirrors and stuff and the radio. So I kept trying to talk to the heated seats. It was like, no more heat, um, but too hot. Tur turn heat off, Siri, no heat. <laughs> and that didn't work. <laughs> So it took me like 30 minutes to finally get the heated seats off and I got to drive along my way and people started following me on Twitter and, and direct messaging me and saying, hey, will you come by our brewery and pick up beers? And so I was like the Johnny Appleseed of beers. I went to like two or three more breweries. Some random guy just messaged me on Twitter and was like, my wife just left me and I'm depressed and your story made me laugh and think of better times. Would you meet me in a parking lot and I can give you some beer? So I met this random guy. David Knox was his name. Super sweet guy. Um, going through a hard time and I met him in the parking lot of an Applebee's and he gave me a case of beer as so I was just driving around picking beer up in a Maserati and um, oh as I'm heading from Boston to Vermont and then the snowstorm started to come in and I lost all GPS directions and so then like I didn't buy a map or anything in Vermont so I don't know where I'm going and I ended up taking a wrong turn and I drove a partial away onto a bridge that had collapsed out and I had to back up off the collapsed bridge and luckily, I found some Vermont State Troopers. There was three trooper cars parked. And I thought, oh, man, there must be a big emergency if three troopers are here. What's going on? So I pulled up and I said, I'm so sorry, officers, to bother you. Can you help me? I'm lost. And they said, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. There's just a dead deer we're looking at. So that was like the case of the century for the Vermont State Highway Patrol, I guess. But they, I showed them the address and they knew where that was. And by this time, it was about 2, two or 3 in the morning. And they pointed me in the direction. I started driving to where the guys had this ski cabin that one of their uncles owned. And there was going to be about 20 guys meeting me there. And we were going to go skiing all the next day. And as I drive up the hill to the ski chalet, I can see it sitting on the top of the hill. And, and I can see it because they're shooting fireworks off and they're blaring speed metal. 
And as I get up the hill and get out of the car, they just start shooting fireworks at me. They're shooting fireworks into the car. They're shooting fireworks inside of their house. And when I say they're blaring metal music, I don't mean they're playing it on a CD. They are playing guitars and drums and just jumping around the house at three in the morning, whatever it was, and having a full-on mosh pit. One of their friends, this guy Crimmins, is passed out on the couch from who knows what. There's an amplifier right next to his ear about to you know, permanently damage his hearing. So I went to go check his pulse and they're like, don't check his pulse, we're partying. And they're just like totally crazy. I mean, like I like to have a good time and stuff, but these guys were I mean, they're drinking 30 beers a day. They were just totally wild and crazy guys, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy smokes, what did I get myself into? These guys are nuts. And then, you know, by that time, it's 3.30 or 4 in the morning, and I had ski school. I had I had made a ski school appointment for 8 in the morning because I don't know how to ski. So I was like, all right, guys, well, we all, let's, you know, try to be the responsible dad that I am. I'm like, let's all get to bed. It's 4 in the morning. We got to, I have an 8 o'clock ski lesson. And they're like, no, we're partying. So we just, we never really went to sleep. I think we partied till 7 in the morning and I slept for about 30 minutes. And it was, it was crazy. And I mean, the house was just, there was way more guys and there was room. So I was like, where do I sleep? And they're like, oh, just lay on the floor anywhere you can. And I laid down and ended up having my face in Cheeto dust and beer sopped into the carpet and, it was, uh, yeah, I was like, I had stepped into the hangover. It was something else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a story. That's crazy. Did you get to meet the other Will Novak? Did he show up? Yeah, yeah. So they, they eventually looped him back in. He goes by Bill. And funny, funnily enough, of all the guys, there's about 20 guys there, I would say he was the one I had the most in common with. A lot of the guys are originally from New Jersey, and then some of them went to college in Vermont, and they met some other guys in Vermont. So most of them live in Jersey and Vermont. But Bill Novak had moved to Brooklyn, He's a film editor. Um, we just had a lot of similar taste in music, movies, similar political uh, leanings. So him and I really hit it off. It was so funny. Everybody's like, oh, it's the, it's the two Novaks. They're like brothers. And um, so, yeah, him and I chatted a ton. I really like him. I still follow him on, on, on Instagram and stuff and try to keep in touch. And so, yeah, he's a super, super cool guy. And I, re I really liked him a lot. And then Angela, the bachelor, is super duper nice, like crazy, just party, life of the party, tons of energy non-stop he was really into outfits he loved changing outfits so we'd go out to the bars and he'd, he'd have a duffel bag and I'm like what is in this duffel bag and he'd have like five or six different really uh, loud crazy outfits and he would just start dancing in the nightclub or the bar and then like stripping on the dance floor and changing outfits and putting different wigs on and <laughs> loved a good costume change it was pretty wild Oh my goodness, that sounds crazy, but very yeah. fun. <laughs> what an experience, and all because you took a chance and considered that it was not spam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty no. crazy. And then, and then the next day when we went to the the ski resort, um, the ski resort like welcomed us. They had they had all these like welcome to Vermont packages. They had a big Instagram contest called the Find Angelo and Will contest, so people could ski up to Angelo and I and take selfies with us and then submit oh, them to the contest. Um, I mean, everywhere we went, we were on the ski lifts and uh, people were shouting our names. I mean, I never had pretty girls shout my name before. It was a real strange experience. It was like being in the Beatles or something. But in this little town of Oki, Okimo, um, Vermont, you know, it was like the biggest news story of the, of the month for them. That was, you know, exciting times that all this craziness was happening. So, yeah, everyone was shouting our names. And I was I, I did OK on the skiing. I did the Bunny Hill a bunch of times. And they had a really nice um, ski instructor named Chris Saylor who helped me out. I did a green run. Bill Novak actually broke his shoulder, threw his shoulder out. He was trying to do one of the one of the black diamonds and was trying to do a jump and busted his shoulder up pretty good. Oh, so yeah. that was that was yeah. But he's a, he just rolled with it and he, and I said, oh, "Are you going to go to the? Are you going to go get a first aid kit or what?" He's like, "I've got a first aid kit." And then he holds up a can of beer. 
and just put a cold beer on his shoulder and said, it'll be fine. And we just sort of rolled with it and his arm was in a sling the rest of the way. And then that night we went out to the bars and like I said, Angela was changing outfits all the time and every bar we went to, people were buying us drinks and people were just going crazy for us. It was so bizarre and silly. And then at one point we met these young ladies who um, I could tell had maybe had a few too many to drink and they, they had told us they were originally from New York and that they had an Airbnb about 30 minutes away. And I asked them, you know, how are you going to get home? You, you've had too many to drink. And they said, oh, well, we were just going to call an Uber. And I was like, yeah, there is no Uber in rural Vermont and there's no cell reception, so that's not going to work. But, you know, I've got this goofy rental Maserati. I'll happily give you a ride in. And so they said, okay. So I went outside and I turned the Maserati on to get the heat rolling in it. And then as I walked back inside to tell the young ladies, hey, that the heat in the car is good. It's nice and warm. Let's go. Some drunk guy ran out of the bar, jumped into the driver's seat of the Maserati, and drove it away into the night, and he disappeared. And I was having a full-on panic attack. This, I mean, $90,000 car, I don't know where it is. A drunk guy is driving it in, in, like, the biggest blizzard they've had all year. And luckily, like, 15 or 20 minutes later, he, like, screeches back into the parking lot and does one of those, like, stops, like, in the Blues Brothers where he, like, skids the car. And he just is, like, laughing his head off. And he goes, oh, I was just fooling you, man. I wasn't going to take it from you. And he got out and he kind of disappeared into the night. And I breathed a huge sigh of relief when we got those young, the girls home back to their Airbnb all safe and sound and everything. And it was fine. But I mean, it was, it was terrifying for a while because I did not get the supplemental insurance plan on the car. So I was a little worried. <laughs> that does sound a little um, sketchy, <laughs> a little difficult. Yeah. I would be too. I mean, with the rental, especially with the car that expensive. Oh my gosh. I would be flipping yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then we went to more and more bar, bars all night until they all closed down. And the plan was originally to go to ski more on Sunday. But when we woke up Sunday morning, the blizzard overnight had been so bad that our cars were under a few feet of snow. So we spent most of most of the day Sunday just trying to dig the cars out of the snow. And then the Maserati was hilarious because it didn't have um, snow tires on it. It had racing tires. So trying to get it out of the snow, it was just skidding around and we were pushing it like it was a giant, you know, two ton sled. And, um, that morning we got it. That was this was all happening Martin Luther King Day weekend. So we all had most of us all had Monday off work. So we got a call from uh, the producers at Good Morning America. And they're like, we saw your story on Twitter. We think it's hilarious. Do you guys want to come to Good Morning America for a taping on Monday? And so we're like, yeah, sure. So me and Angelo and Bill Novak and Devin, who's Angelo's brother, the one that actually sent the initial mistaken email. We all drove down from Vermont to, to Times Square and they put us up in a nice hotel and that Monday morning, we were on Good Morning America with Sarah Hines and Michael Strahan, and it was bizarre. So cool. And what a neat um, now claim to fame. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> it was cool. We were there. We were actually on Good Morning America the day that Kamala Harris announced she was running for president. So I saw her. That is super cool. Very, very cool. Well, that just makes a very fun story. And very cool, too, that you're in our very small economic development field and you that you were able to share that to IEDC and just I mean your whole story I'm so glad everything worked out for you because I'm glad I'm not dead me too that's quite a few chances <laughs> well I think uh you know I don't know as I told the people at the conference when Jeff had me talk about it I think economic development is in my experience limited you know five or six year experience is about finding a way to say yes and getting to a yes for you know, a new development and a positive thing for your community. So I think I'm just naturally wired that way. I'm always eager to say yes to things and eager to have an adventure. And I think life is about accruing new stories that you can tell your friends around the campfire. And no no great adventure ever started off with anyone saying, nah, forget it. 
you know, when, when Frodo went to go look for the ring, he didn't just say, oh, this seems like a lot of trouble, forget it, you know, so I think you got to just be open to things. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Well, and a great way to liken it to economic development. <laughs> well, uh, Will, I have a few wrap-up questions for you. Okay. The, the first is, what is your biggest economic development secret to success for other economic developers out there listening? I think, yeah, kind of what I just said is just say yes to things and nothing is too crazy. I mean, we get, I'm sure the people listening get crazy projects. I mean, I think of one, for example, where we had a guy in our city that called us and he wanted to turn a dead Kmart into a, like a monkey sanctuary. I think that this guy maybe was illegally keeping monkeys in his house. I'm not positive. And I mean, that deal didn't go anywhere. And luckily, this guy did not get a monkey sanctuary. But we didn't just hang up the phone on him. And I, I think just like this story you know, there, there are deals, there's a big project I'm working on right now that when the guy first called, he didn't really seem to be have it together. And we weren't sure if this guy was legit. And now he's just closed on a couple million dollars worth of land and is going to be building a really cool project in our city. And if I would have gone with what my inclination was, was just to, to ignore it, I, you know, it wouldn't have led to the, where it's just starting to become a, a positive outcome. I can't talk about it yet, but you know, it, it could be a cool project for a part of our city and a, a, a nice amenity that he wants to build. Um, so yeah, just try to be open to things and say yes and, and find a way to say yes and, and make positive things happen in your area. That's great advice and totally something that we can tell that you live by. So that's yeah. great. <laughs> Sometimes well, to my detriment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and lastly, what is your favorite hobby? What is my favorite hobby? I have a 16-month-old, so I don't have any hobbies anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, raising my 16-month-old, I love just doing stuff with her, playing in the park, running around. I'm a big nerd. I play a lot of video games. I've started to play video games with my daughter. She just sort of watches me play. My wife and I play Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, we're real nerds here, Nicole. I don't know. This is some top level nerd stuff. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I was always kind of more of a, I, I enjoy watching sports, but I'm no good at them. The mind is, the mind is willing, but the body is not. So a lot of, a lot of indoor kid activities for me. <laughs> love it love it well will thank you so so much for joining me on the podcast today and sharing your story it's such a cool story and something so neat that i mean it's incredible everything that you went through and that you were open to and that now you can share with people so uh, and thank you for sharing with us yeah thank you and then if people are like they want to see more silly stuff that happened if you just search the Search Twitter for the hashtag Angelo's Bachelor Party. You'll see all the different crazy. There's pictures on Instagram and stuff that happened on Twitter that I haven't talked about here and stuff. So that's uh, if, if you're bored one day and want to kill some time, it's a, it's a fun rabbit hole. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.